Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. You are listening to our immigration series, and this is episode seven. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today's guest on the podcast is Amanda Stillman. I met Amanda when she was a little girl growing up in Indonesia. She comes from a wonderful family, from her parents, Peter and Jenny Stillman, who are just legendary in Indonesia, and um, were sort of like mentors for us early on when we first got there. We took a long train ride from Jakarta to Bandung just to spend time uh, overnighting at her family's house and enjoying waffles in the morning and just long conversations about all kinds of things. And as she has grown up, she has become this amazing person who is uh, currently living in Chad in Africa, and she works as the Africa Programs Director for Never Thirst, which is a nonprofit based in the States in in Birmingham, Alabama, and they're focused on bringing clean and living water to the poor through the local church, wherever they work. Um, She is has been an immigrant or as she refers to as the weird foreigner (laughs) most of her life which apparently she's very okay with (laughs) she loves traveling she speaks many languages I know she speaks Indonesian Arabic uh, Mandarin French I'm not sure probably a lot of others and um, she just loves learning about different cultures and being a part of the global church family she's just very easy to get to know and a lot of fun and very inspiring and she's going to share today about her experiences working with refugees in the Middle East and then currently her work in Chad that she does to help provide clean water for people and just the way being an immigrant has really blessed her and then her view about immigrants based on her experiences living in many countries including in the United States and some experiences she had with immigrants in the U.S. So It is my pleasure and honor to introduce Amanda Stillman. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this this series on immigration just brought you to mind. I I know that we met back in uh, Indonesia many years ago. But you've done some pretty exciting work and, li- and lived in some pretty great places around the world. And I just wanted our listeners to be able to hear from you and um, the experience you've had being an immigrant and caring for immigrants and refugees and also just some of the work that you do. So why don't you just give us a little introduction about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Lori. Um, I grew up in Indonesia and have been sort of the foreigner for most of my life. Actually, that kind of is feels more normal to me than when I'm in what I call my 
passport country, <laughs> which is the yeah. States. But yeah. um, currently I, I live in Chad in Central Africa. I am the Africa Programs Director for an organization called Never Thirst based in Birmingham, Alabama. We do water projects around the world. Uh, helping to bring clean and living water to people in remote locations or people who don't have access to uh, clean water. So I've lived and worked um, all around the world, <laughs> uh, a lot in Asia and now a lot in Africa. So most of my life has been either in Asia or Africa. So that's me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exciting. Um yeah, and we'll we'll dig a little more into some of the details about the work that you're doing. But I just uh, this podcast is about people like who are different and also want to make a difference in the world. And you kind of qualify as both. Huh. <laughs> so, um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. We'll, yes, in in the very best way. Um, <laughs> we'll at some point probably do a a podcast series on like what it means to be a TCK, a third culture kid, because that's just really exciting. And since you know all five of us and our family qualify as that. Um, it's very yeah. exciting, but it gives a different perspective on the world for sure, especially um, your passport country is the U.S. and you've been raised in Asia, but lives in Asia and Africa and in a lot of different places. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, um, you know, as we're in this kind of uh, season in our world where there's just a lot of, um, you know, negativity about people who are different from us. Um, one of the things I wanted to press into in this immigration series was sort of just to open our minds to the idea that people who are different from us can actually have a lot to teach us and we can benefit from opening up our, our lives um, and even our thoughts to the way people think and live differently. And, and I know that like, um, especially, you know, in, in the United States, which you have not lived in very much, and I only recently began to do so, um, yeah. but there've been a lot of things, you know, that we see or hear about in the news um, even some pretty derogatory phrases that are, have been used to describe certain African nations as a whole that have come, you know, from some pretty powerful leaders. And so I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to clear up any misconceptions about what African nations you've lived in are really like. Yeah, well, first, I appreciate you noting African nations, because I think that's been something that we in the West tend to do is just sort of lump Africa into this place where what almost like a country it's it's amazing (laughs) and embarrassing how often you see in the media and other places where people actually slip up and say the country of Africa Mm. and uh, yeah it's uh, I think it just shows it's just this generalization it's easier to sort of write it off as oh that's over there it's that's them um when it's really um huge and diverse uh I've lived in I guess three African countries where I've actually like lived in those countries. Um, But I've traveled in many more. I have lost count, but um, there, there are similarities and differences across uh, regions, but it's really, yeah, it's, it's such a, an interesting place. And I really enjoyed being here and all the countries I've gotten a chance to, to visit Having grown up in Asia, I didn't know that much about Africa either before I came yeah. here. But I've also just been, I've also loved getting to meet people here and being a part of their lives. And 
learning so much about them. And um, I have many dear friends who have held me up during really difficult times in my life and including right now where I'm going through something that's really tough and I've never ever been prayed for like I have by my friends here who have gone out of their way um, especially some friends here in Chad who've gone out of their way to have all, all night prayer vigils and they've been fasting and praying for me and the situation and it's kept me going really um through a really tough time and and I am so grateful because I would never have made it without them and for me that's like that's family um yeah and I remember saying that to uh without even thinking about it early on when I first moved to Chad um one of these people who's been such an amazing prayer warrior for me um he his son was really ill with malaria and he had stopped by my office we were talking about work because we were doing some wells out in his area and he just mentioned that he'd come into town um just to to get some medicine for his son and you know before he left I just thought okay maybe uh, let me just give him a little bit of money because I knew that he raises money from the church to do his work and I didn't know if he had any I was like here can I just give you some money to you know help or medicine or whatever for your son and he's like really and I said yeah, you know, like we're family, <laughs> we're together in this. And if you, if you need money for him, I don't mind helping out. It's not that much. Um, and he was just so overwhelmed by that. And so grateful because he actually had needed money. He just hadn't told me, um, Aww. and was able to get the medicine for his son. And he's reminded me of that every time I have, you know, thanked him for praying with me and thanked him for coming specifically out just to pray with me, just to be there with me going through this. Um, His family has just been amazing to me. They've let me be a part of their family. So I guess for me, Africa and my, my time here um, uh, in different places where I've lived has just been about the relationships that I've built and the people who have poured into me, um, and I'm here, you know, doing wells and people are always obviously really grateful to have water in places where they haven't had it before, but I'm yeah, just yeah. been overwhelmed by how much people have held me up through my tough times and how much they've been there for me in ways that to me, like I can never repay. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that as well. So I don't know if I kind of went off topic on <laughs> that question. No, but, I love um, it. Yeah. It's, these it's have been wonderful friends. That- no, that's awesome. It's just a reminder that we don't go out as some white savior around the world trying to, you know, as if we're the better people. Um, yeah. So much of my experience, you know, being raised in Latin America and then living in Asia for 20 years and then now being in a very diver- diverse community in Silicon Valley is that we have so much to gain, so much to learn from people of different cultures and it enriches us. And um, we need each other. Like there's not just one that needs the other. Like we need each other as fellow human beings made in the image of God and all showing different, you know, expressions of that. And so I just think that's a beautiful picture that you painted for us of the compelling reason why we would want, um, you know, immigrants to come and, and live among us because, you know, just being in all, for example, all white spaces, if you're a white person, I mean, it's just, it's so limiting and seeing the ways that we can, you know, have our lives enriched and see God and be prayed over and be cared for and know, you know, have a faith community that really is very deep in faith. And so that's just a beautiful picture that you painted. 
Um, I think the white savior thing is also a big issue. Um, And I know that it's been something I've worked on in my own life. What I'm doing is, you know, doing water and and projects like that. Humanitarian work is what I've done. Even before I worked for Never Thirst, I was working in the humanitarian world with um, refugees and other stuff that I was doing. And, And I think I've had to fight that because I have this, you know, desire to come in and save the world and recognizing that that's not me. And uh, the longer I've been out here, the more I have learned from people who have been around me. Um, uh, When I was working in India, there was an amazing Indian man who just really mentored me. And he knew so much more, always will, knows so much more about water projects. And and I remember him um, just speaking into my life and really guiding me as a young person wanting to jump in and fix everything. And and him coming to me and saying, Amanda, you are not saving their lives here. He's like, they've been (laughs) surviving like this before you got here and they will continue to survive. And it's difficult, but you're not here saving their lives. So stop, take the time, plan the project so that it will be a long lasting, sustainable project that will really help people. Don't run in thinking that you got to do something now, now, now without the backup to actually do something that works. So like from, from that guy really speaking into my life when I was in India to people here, like in South Sudan who were, would tell me like, yeah, you can do it this way, but it's not going to work. Um, learning to really listen to the people around me because I really don't know what I'm doing. I feel more, (laughs) most of what my role is, is I'm kind of like the bridge from the West to the East or from the US to Africa or wherever I'm living at the time is being able to sort of translate some of those cultural differences and also being able to speak to people on both sides and suggest things that would make the project better from both sides. And like you said, like having people from in a diverse situation um, and being in a diverse uh, setting and having that people from different backgrounds, different education, different cultural knowledge really enriches the project and makes it more successful. And if you go all one way or the other, you're going to miss something. So I really, we really are stronger together. Yeah, I love that. I love that you, um, I mean, it's no surprise that you had, you know, someone speaking into your life, an Indian man, that you received that and that there was no, uh, that you have a humble heart enough to receive it. Um, it's no surprise because I know the family you were raised in and they raised you well <laughs> and they Aww. were a good example to you for that as well. Yeah. Being a still, means, it, means, it means a lot. <laughs> um, I'm grateful yeah, for that. I know that you have had, you know, multiple immigration signs that you would have walked under in airports and crossing borders throughout your life and, um, in v- various languages. And, and so I just would love to know, like for you personally, what does it mean for you to you know, have an immigrant visa in another place and live somewhere besides your passport country? What, what is, where's the, um, what, what kind of thoughts do you have surrounding that and the, the gift that it has been for you? I think growing up in Asia, my biggest fear was that someday God was going to make me live in America. Um, <laughs> and I really struggled with that for a really long time. Um, because I just didn't feel like that was my home. Um, And I think that growing up overseas as the obvious foreigner, I had this freedom, I think, to be myself and do what I wanted. And I knew that if I was weird or different, 
people would just chalked it up to, oh, she's a foreigner, you know, whatever. They're all like that. Yeah. So I felt like I, I wanted and I could really be who I was. When I went back to the States and I spoke like everyone, well, I mean, not really in the South, but, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, I sound, I'm a, I have an American accent. I don't have an Australian accent or yes. anything. Yeah, I, you can't look at me and say, okay, this girl is not from here. And so <laughs> I would do stupid things and people will be like, that is really stupid. Why did she do that? And I felt so self-conscious all the time. And I mean, to be honest, probably people were looking at me a lot less than I thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> but growing up in Asia, everyone really was looking at me. I, I mean, you walk out the door and people were yelling, hey, white girl, you know? Yeah. And so, and so I did always feel like I was on display, even if I wasn't. And so I think that was a part of my discomfort in the States. So a lot of being able to travel and go different places really was kind of like my comfort zone, which seems strange to people who you know, leaving the States or leaving their home country is leaving their comfort zone. But for me, like being in an airport is like very comfortable for me. Yeah. I instinctively know how it works. Even if I've never been in a particular airport, I can always find my way around. Yeah. Um, I always know what to do. Um, and so for me, that's, that's a comfortable place for me. Um, and it has, it was later, many years later, where I think God really worked on me to say, to, to realize that everywhere I've lived, I've been happy and I, I have found things that I love. And if he ever calls me to live in the States, I'll be happy and I, I can enjoy that. And now I, I realize that God has given me certain gifts and abilities. So he's probably going to keep me working in an international capacity in some, in some way. But if I ever got called back to the States, as you've been, you know, I, I yep. know that I would be, I, I could be okay. I would be happy um, and enjoy the good things that are there uh, as I've enjoyed in other places. Um, but I think I have also been really grateful for the fact that I can travel and I can go to different places. I'm often having people say, oh, can you get me a visa to America or can you get me, a, you know, and, and I have absolutely no connections, so I can't do that. <laughs> right. And I, I feel bad about that because I've gotten into their countries, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've also had to go through process when I've had meetings and stuff for different staff in different countries and helping them get permits to go other places. And I love it when I can facilitate people to get to travel when they haven't before. Yeah. So I had one of uh, my coworkers here in Chad who got to come to Sweden because I sort of pushed for it. Um, and he didn't speak English. He speaks only French and um, his local tribal language here. So I got to do some translating in the airport for him. Um, and that was also pretty fun. And yeah, that's nice. I've also translated a lot for people at immigration I, I translated for a French woman once in Ethiopia. I translated for some, some Chinese guys once here in chat. <laughs> um, it's just, it's funny. And I, I love just sort of the mix of cultures in an, air, in an airport. And you never know what language you're going to get to speak. You never know what person you're going to get to help or who's going to be there to help you if you need it too. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I enjoy that aspect of my life. That's so great. And I totally relate to that. I feel like most TCKs are comfortable in airports. I mean, I, I know all of our family is my, you know, from young ages, we all learn how to navigate those by ourselves. And 
it does feel like a second home in many ways. COVID has definitely changed that for a lot of people. There's a lot of mourning of that second home not being accessible, but I wanted yes, to know definitely. if you, I wanted to know if you would um, talk to us a little bit about um, the way you've been received and welcomed as an immigrant in the nations that you've lived. Uh, I feel like I have almost, almost a hundred percent of the time, wherever I've been, there have been people who have gone out of their way to help me. If I look lost, um, in different countries where I've lived, I've had people invite me to weddings when I'm just walking down the street past their homes. Um, (laughs) when I was living in China, this lady and her husband decided they were going to adopt me and they called me my, they called me their adopted daughter and would have me over for dinner a lot. Um, Oh, nice. uh, Like I said, here in Chad, I have people who've said, you know, we're family. And um, I was in a car accident. I had so many visitors coming to check on the stitches and make sure I'm okay. And, um, (laughs) you know, just things like that. I feel like I have been welcomed unconditionally everywhere I've been. And I'm really grateful for that. I do have to say, um, this is where I realize my white privilege because I have friends from other ethnic backgrounds who haven't received the same welcome in many places where they've been traveling. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's a, a racist thing. Um, racism isn't just in the U S right. And so for me, that's been, it's been hard to take. Um, like one situation I remember when I was living in China, one of my good friends there was Japanese and loved China, loved learning Chinese. Um, but there's a history there. Yeah, uh, obviously, with, from World War Two and a lot of um, really evil stuff that Japanese did in China. Yeah. And there's yeah. been an yeah. ongoing um, hatred for the Japanese in, in many parts of China. And whenever we were traveling together, often she would get a lot of flack for that. Whereas people would be like, oh, you're so wonderful to me and then get away to her. And so trying, you know, that was trying to navigate that with her and be a friend to her. And, um, you know, she, to her credit, didn't take it personally at all, was really um, gracious in every situation. But it was hard for me to watch that and and see the complete different treatment of both of us in in the same situation. So. Yeah, that is really tough. I've had experiences like that, too. And it's really hard to navigate Um, just the, you know, utter privilege you get as a white person, which is often very undeserved in certain situations. And then, you know, the extreme hatred of someone else and um, just because of how you look and the history of the country that you represent um, as a a passport, it's just pretty unfair. But yeah, I mean, we, we could have we always kind of like talked about how like living in Asia, I mean, you could walk into like any major hotel lobby and they just assume you're there for, cause you're a tourist, even if you're not, you know, somebody who may actually have a room reserved with a different look about them because they're from a different place would get, you know, questioned by the security and multiple people in the lobby, just trying to make it to their room. It really is such a difference if, you know, for people who've experienced it. I mean, those of us who've been, you know, have like our skin color and, you know, speak like Americans and have lived in certain places, we definitely have had those experiences for sure. Um, you know, yeah. my parents live on the border now. They're retired and they live on the U.S.-Mexico border. And, you know, when you drive past these checkpoints, like actually not on the U.S. border, but even up into New Mexico, they have border checks within the state. 
And so you have to pass through them. And if it's like your car has all um, kind of like European American looking people, you, you just pretty much don't get stopped. But if you have anybody that looks like they came from south of the border, you get stopped, you get questioned. I mean, it, it's just, you know, there's just very obvious profiling that, that goes on. And um, obviously, that's not just in the U.S. That happens in different places around the world. Um, yeah. I, I want to press into a little bit of like your, the, your faith background and the faith that you currently hold. And just wondered if you would speak to anything regarding how your faith informs your view of and maybe even the responsibility to care for immigrants of you know, God's love to all of your neighbors. Yeah, I feel like if you read the Gospels, you always see Jesus advocating for the poor. He's he's always speaking out, um, help the least of these, stand up for the for those who are being oppressed. You know, he he heals the sick. He sees the people that no one else sees. Uh, and I, I feel like when you serve a God like that, um, how can you not care about everyone, especially yeah. the least, especially those who are suffering and oppressed? Um, uh, I love the part where Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah and Luke 6, and he says, you know, this day, this has been fulfilled. You know, I came to set the captives free, to bring justice, um, and the, the lame will walk and the deaf will hear and the blind will see. And he came to fulfill that. And yeah. I think that um, I think a lot about this myself because, you know, I believe that God really cares for the poor. And I believe that he hates injustice. And I believe that um, he is love. And yet in this world, there's so much evil and there's so much injustice and it feels like, okay, God, are you really, you know, if you, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, so why are your people suffering in this, in this way so much? And yeah. um, why are so many, why is there so much injustice? Um, and I think, you know, I've seen the Lord answer prayers in wonderful ways. I've seen him come through for people and in miraculous ways too. But I've also seen the times where I feel like, he hasn't. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend about that the other day and, and thinking, and we were just discussing some things. And um, there's this one village where we just got to, to do a water project. And it was a really exciting, exciting thing for this village in the middle of nowhere in Chad. And I was thinking about like all the people that were involved in order to get this project to happen. And, and then the fact that we even found this village and I was thinking about all the other villages that haven't been found that still need water. Yeah. <laughs> and I think God uses his church um, to right wrongs, to bring um, water to the thirsty, to bring help to the poor. And I think some of it's on us. <laughs> and if we have more people who are stepping up, who are wanting to use the resources that God has given them to support projects like never thirst or other, other organizations that are doing other work. Um, and I think that's when we're going to see a lot more injustices, um, like wrongs righted and, um, poor being, being able to, to be served by the church. And so I think a lot of it is on us to step up, and I also think, I mean, this is a broken world and we're not going to see um, 
the kingdom of heaven until it's fully here. But I still think it's a part of our job to bring pieces of the kingdom to wherever we are. And it's a part of our job to fight for justice. It's a part of our job to fight, um, to bring help to the poor, water to the thirsty, food to the hungry. That's what we're supposed to do. And so I feel really strongly about that. And I'm really grateful that I get to be out here on the front lines and get to be a part of seeing um, water come to these villages. But I'm also so grateful for those in the States and other parts of the world who have supported our work financially and in prayer, because I know it takes like all of us working together. Um, And I'm so thankful for uh, the local believers and my local partners in different countries where we're working and all that they're doing in the field, working hard to make these projects happen. Um, So I I think it's pretty cool how the Lord uses his church, how we get to be a part of what he's doing. He can do it all without us, but it's really a privilege that we get to, to work for his kingdom here. Um, And it helps us to grow in compassion and love for him. And it also, um, I, I think it's a beautiful picture of his love that we can show in our physical bodies here that uh, may not be as personal if it, everything comes through miraculous lightning bolts from heaven or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's not official theological, um, biblical preaching. This is just stuff I've been thinking about in my yeah. own life. So. I love it. I, I think it's so good. And I, um, I love when people, when they talk about the gospel, when they start with that moment, you mentioned that Jesus opened the scroll. Cause I think that that was when, I mean, I don't, obviously people in the, in the synagogue that day got the nature of it because I think they, they reacted pretty strongly when he did that <laughs> when he read that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we, we react strongly today to it as well, because when you have a moment where the God of the universe comes in human form and opens up this ancient scripture and talks about good news for the poor, like even to, even today that causes a lot of really strong emotional reactions that trigger a lot of people. But Mm -hmm. when you're, when you are among the poor and I, I know I was raised among the poor in Latin America and my parents did, you know, work and I had good friends and very impoverished communities. And when good news comes to the core, there's just a power in it, like nothing else. And I know for you, like you were raised by a family that intentionally lived in a, in a very poor part in West Java on purpose and, and taught you these truths that there is something very special when good news comes to the poor in a way that it's not the same as when it comes to like a rich young ruler and that kind of thing. There's just something really special about inhabiting that place. And one of the things I've noticed here being back in the States, um, is a lot of the, when I listen to more African-American preachers and, you know, and and I'm in more African-American spaces for like prayer groups, this whole message of what Jesus read that moment in the scroll is something often talked about. It's often brought up. It's often mentioned when we're talking about the gospel. And I just find it, it's a little more absent in some of the other more, you know, other spaces where, there's more of a dominant culture or more of a privilege, but it, it is such good news that you don't want to stop talking about it. When you come from a place where your life has been full of injustices or you're not part of a dominant culture or indeed when you are poor, 
And so I love that you kind of wrapped all that together. I just think, you know, social justice, biblical justice, it's all very much together. And I think there is such a message that we, we often gloss over when we don't intentionally go into those spaces, like where you're at, like giving your life to help right wrongs about people not having water. Um, and it's just a beautiful place. I would love for you to talk also about some of the work you did among refugees and any ways that you felt like your faith um, empowered you to help um, refugees in the different places where you've been. Yeah, actually, I was at university in the U.S. when I first started working with refugees. I was super culture shocking. I did not want to be in America. <laughs> and I just didn't know. I didn't know how to be there. I didn't know how to be friends with with Americans. And um, I just felt really out of place. And so I was just kind of, you know, doing school and um, being introverted <laughs> and self-isolating before it was cool. Um, and I remember there was this, uh, I went some, t- I went uh, to the Baptist student union to like placate my parents, um, to like do something social, you know, meet people. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and there was this girl there who was the intern. And I remember being really intimidated by her. She was like a super extrovert and really beautiful and really cool. Um, so that makes me just see like withdraw more. And I remember one day she, she like kind of tracked me down and she was like, I'm going to be your friend. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, but she went after me and she, um, as a really cool example of someone who has always just wanted to be the hands and feet of, of Jesus. And she had just been on a mission trip to Senegal. So she was super into all things Africa <laughs> and she had met an African woman in the grocery store and started talking to her and found out that she was a refugee from Sudan. And she asked this lady, wow, I found out there's lots of refugees in the town where we were. And she asked, well, what, what do you guys need? What can we do to help? And she said, well, a lot of these kids that come here um, are put right into school according to their age level when most of them haven't been in school. Um, and many of them don't even know how to read and their parents have never been in school. So they don't really know how to help them. So we really need people who would help our kids with school. So she's like, done, boom. And she started an after school training, uh, an after school tutoring program. And it was pretty easy to rope me into that. You know, that's like what I've always yeah. done. So immediately um, I, I agreed to help her when she asked me about it. And that became my lifeline all through university. That was my social outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were the people who I, I connected with, um, these kids who had left everything, trying to make it in a new culture and figure out who they were. And a lot of navigating how to, they were almost like second parents for their parents because they learned English really quickly and the parents didn't. And I had a car because um, my dad's brother owns a car dealership and he gave us a good deal on it. So I was able to drive them around and um, I went, I took them to doctor's appointments. I took them to the grocery store. I went to their school programs and, um, and I just, and I, I love them and I love being with them. And it really sort of triggered that place in me that I wanted to, to start working in humanitarian work and working in development work. Um, and, and so I really, I really credit that time was sort of 
pushing me in the direction that I am now. Uh, so that was the first time I got to work with refugees. And then um, after I finished, well, I, then I, I, I was living in the Middle East, working for a couple years, um, focused on Palestinian refugees in Jordan, Syria, and <laughs> Lebanon. Um, and realized I didn't really know what I was doing and wanted to learn more about it. So I went back to grad school um, and I got my master's in development and relief. And after that, I worked in, I went to Yemen and I worked in a Somali refugee camp in Southern Yemen. And I also, I love that. I um, got to meet a lot of really interesting people, hear a lot of heartbreaking stories um, and, and see just, you know, people who had lived in refugee camps for years, decades, even people who've been there for over 10 years, just sitting in this refugee camp. Um, and how people, how resilient people are in these camps, you know, they had built up their own little economies, their own marketplaces <laughs> where they would resell a lot of UN stuff that they'd been given and they started businesses and they, um, people who had skills taught others and, um, and it was just, it was really cool to see how people survive, but always people in their mind was, when are we going to get out of here? And you would see people, I, I have friends who took that dangerous trip the like a couple years ago we were seeing everyone all, all the migrants um taking the boat from libya and then making their way up into sweden and norway and i have friends who made that trip um yeah and survived it and said it was just absolute hell um yeah. and i have other friends who are still behind um because they don't want to risk it because of their kids and their families and um and then i have other friends who made it to the US. Um, the, their number was was called finally and they got their chance to go um, be moved to the US and be, be uh, resettled in the US. And so, you know, you've got all of these different things coming through that. So that was also um, interesting to see that side of, of uh, immigration and how long people wait and the desperation that you get when you've been there for so long and the desperation and the stories that I heard of why people yeah, left their it's, country. It's just such a complicated thing, right? Um, you, have, you have governments that are not um, treating their people very well. And it's not, you know, the fault of any citizen, especially in a place where they don't have elections where they could even vote for their leader um, or people who are voiceless, especially, you know, among the poor communities that don't really have access to, to the, to speak to power in those ways. And, and therefore they're desperate to get somewhere else. Um, and it is, uh, it's also just, you know, fascinating to me, like you said, you see this resiliency and I would just say like, um, so many of the people I've known that have emigrated in different countries where I've lived, I do think there is just this level of risk taker that, that is compelled to do that, that you would, um, you know, have that mindset that it would be almost like an, a very entrepreneurial type mindset that often immigrants bring with them. And we certainly see that here in the Silicon Valley. We have some amazing restaurants that are open from people all over the world. We have amazing food because of all the immigration. It's definitely a bonus of living here. But also just, yeah, even just in tech and the way people come into these different jobs on H-1B visas. Oh, yeah. That's... Knowing, um, yeah, there's just a level of risk taking that you would leave a country that's comfortable that you know where your family is, where you're connected, where your name means something, and just completely start fresh. Like, it, it takes a lot of courage and, and, and boldness, um, especially to cross, you know, dangerous borders, like with 
um, certain ocean conditions or even, you know, military borders and things like that, like the, that takes a level of risk taking. And so when you meet people who's got, who's had a story like that, it's fascinating. I think we can learn so much from it and it gives us courage to, to do things in our own lives that, that involve risk, you know, because I think when you meet people who are courageous, it helps you be courageous too. And so I, I love listening to, to stories of immigrants. I think they have so much to teach us. I just want to know, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that maybe I didn't ask today that's important for us to understand when we think about immigration around the world? Mm. Well, I don't feel like I have really any good kind of um, any kind of expert opinion on, on anything. Um, I I love seeing um, people from different countries and cultures uh, being a part of life in the States. I love meeting people from different places. Um, I love um, my opportunity to be out here and to work with people out here as well. So, I mean, I know that the whole immigration thing is a, is a big um, politically charged issue, but if you take politics out of it um and you take um you know issues of legality or illegality out of it and just say as believers and as followers of jesus we are supposed to love our neighbor and we care for those who are around us and if you love jesus then you want to love the people that he loves and he loves all of us and being able to see people through his eyes and being able to have compassion for people and try to understand where they're coming from, try to put yourself in their shoes um, and think what desperation <laughs> leads people um, to make some decisions um, and experiences that you wouldn't probably never have. I think having compassion and trying to be there for other people, if you can, like I've loved the moments when I've gotten to help people when I've been in the States, like um, I got to recently, I got to help um, a family that uh, was in the hospital and I got to sit in the hospital with him and just be there with them. And I thought of all the times and all the people who have gone out of their way to help me when I've been in different places. And it's such a tiny thing that I can do to give back. Um, And and I, I remember writing on Facebook when um, there was a lot of issues about immigration from the Middle East saying, you know, I have been lived in the Middle East. I was welcomed and with open arms by so many people who went out of their way to look after me and to be there for me and to help me. And I don't want to think that they're not going to receive that same kind of welcome in my own country, as much as it doesn't always feel like my country. I want to know that um, the church is gonna reach out uh, to help people. And I'm actually, you know, I'm not in the States, so I don't know. And I know that no, we're not perfect and I know that the church is not perfect, but um, a friend of mine from my church here in Chad yeah. went, got to an immigration oh, wow. visa to the US, uh, like a, a lottery type of thing. And he ended up moving to Ohio. And I was like, okay, this guy knows nobody there. What am I going to do? So I managed to find church contacts there who 
were like, oh yeah, this is a new guy. And I'm like, he doesn't speak much English. He's new. And they invited him to their church. They went and picked him up. And like, he spent Thanksgiving with them. He was sending me emails saying, people are so friendly and welcoming and so helpful. And I'm so grateful for that. And I was so, I was so proud in that moment and so grateful that the church reached out to him and that when he needed help, they were there for him. And I'm so thankful for that. And I want to see, I want to hear more stories like that. Um, and like, if you're, if you're in the church in the States and you have a chance to help an immigrant or even, um, a tourist or whoever, I think it's just, it's such a blessing, uh, to so many people. And I hope people will see that and get a chance to do that. Uh, and I just thought of one more thing um, that's not really about immigration, but it's just kind of a cool story about how the Lord brings things together. Um, a few years ago, I was in Uganda and we were near the border of South Sudan working on some projects there. And I happened to meet up with the woman that my friend met in the supermarket, the refugee woman from Sudan. And it turns out she uh, she has always she was always an amazing advocate for the refugee culture, had been more educated than most of them and already spoke really good English. And she was back in Uganda at the time working in a South Sudanese refugee camp. And I got to meet up with her and I got to speak to her in Juba Arabic, which I didn't know at the time when I was working in the States. And I got to see her and her daughter and hear about the work that they're doing to serve South Sudanese refugees. Wow. And I found out that one of the last places I worked in South Sudan was actually her home village. We got to do about wow. 10 wells there um, before we had to leave because of the fighting. And it was just, it was such a beautiful thing that so many years before, um, because of a really persistent, wonderful friend I was working with refugees and then that changed the whole trajectory of my life to where I was then later meeting her on her home turf <laughs> almost and, and able just um, to hear more about her life and to show her how my life had changed since then. And I just think those kind of experiences when you travel, when you meet people from different places, when you get to be a part of this global community, you get so many cool stories like that. Of when you come into contact with people, you you never expected in different places, wow. and get to hear how the Lord that's brought amazing. your lives. I, I just think that's um, so cool because you don't always get to see <laughs> so, like yeah, those moments. We know that you know God is aware and orchestrating all kinds of things around us to show love, you know, through us to others. But we don't get to always see it wrapped up in a little bow like that. And so that's so cool. And I just think. Um, you've just given us such a gift today of, um, of what it looks like to have yeah. a life where we are serving the least of these as if we're serving Jesus of loving God and loving our neighbor. And, um, I just think it's, it, you've given us some real challenges today on, on practically what that can look like even here in the United States, but in other countries around the world to, um, to live our lives in such a way as to where we're pouring out God's love to others for, um, you know, because all humans are made in God's image and because even, you know, the promise to Abraham, you know, in Genesis was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And yeah. we just, we, we don't want to leave anyone out, right? Like the promises for everyone, everybody deserves to be um, treated with love and respect. And um, I just, I want to end today by asking, are there any resources that you would point people to, to learn more about how to care for the poor, or care for immigrants um, 
any resources that you have found helpful. Oh, there's so many things out there. Um, I think sometimes you just got to try a bunch of different things and see if like God's leading you more into one area or another. Um, I know when Neverthirst was first starting out before they even chose their name, before they were working on anything that they were, you know, there's, there's so many needs all around the world and they were cold and, Oh, should we start? Should we work in education? Should we work in, you know, um, in food security? And they ended up just choosing to work in water. Uh, but I think, you know, God leads different people to work in, in different areas. You know, if, if you're passionate about, um, justice there's uh, a lot of organizations that work um to do like uh justice projects around the world like international justice mission um if you're passionate about education there's lots of organizations (laughs) compassion does a lot with that uh i can do a shameless plug for never thirst since um that's my organization doing a lot of cool stuff with water around the world but there's so many there's a lot of really great organizations out there um, and then there's a lot of books you can read about working with the poor, um, toxic charity when helping hurts. Um, there's, uh, I mean, I read a lot of books in grad school about a lot of these topic topics and, and there's a whole bunch of, um, books out there on many different subjects, many different, um, uh, sides of uh, different issues. So, uh, I don't know if I have anything specific. I would just say um, start learning as much as you can. Find people and listen to their stories and and see what God puts on your heart. Um, I think uh, I'm sure your church has a bunch of different outreach projects that that they're doing. I'd say get involved and, and try to do something where you are. Don't wait until like you don't say, oh, I have to wait until, you know, airports open up so I can travel to, yeah oh, Kenya and sing some songs in a slum for kids or whatever. I mean, um, if you want to work with children, there are children all around you. What is God opening up for you there? Um, yeah, I would say do some do some research, but look to get involved where you are with something. Um and see what the Lord is leading to. What what has God put on your heart that's really um, weighs yeah, heavy on you that you feel helpful. really passionate about? I know it's pretty vague. Um, Maybe not very helpful, but uh, there's yeah, that was so many resources out there that it's really hard, hard to, put a, to a choose something. Heart, but um, it kind of starts yeah. with opening your eyes and your heart and your ears to listen. And I, I just think that was a really good piece of advice is people where you are um, – you know, are, are hurting and, and need, are lonely and need someone to just show God's love to them. And, you know, for those of you who are listening that don't, um, actually even, you know, believe that God exists, or maybe you come from a different religion. Um, I just want to also say that, um, all of us are included in this whole, what it means to be a human being, reaching out to another human being and showing love and that, that doesn't take a particular religion or even mm-hmm. a belief in God to understand. That's something that everyone can do and it benefits all of us. And, um, and I just thank you, Amanda, for sharing this with us today, because I think that the, you know, the story of your yeah. life is one 
where you were poured into so much by your family and you were taught and given so much. And, um, and it allows you to be the kind of person that is just so full of that, that you can pour out your life for others. And just thank you for being an example of that and pointing us to resources. And thank you for the work that you do with Never Thirst. Um, yeah, it's been a real treat just to hear from you and, and what God's done in your life over the past many years since I met you as a little girl. <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a real honor to speak with you as well. Um, and um. I love talking about international stuff and I love um, the fact that people care and want to help others in whatever capacity that is. Um, so I'm excited that you've got people who are interested in, in this subject and people who are wanting to look well, for ways for to reach on. out it's great to talk around to them and Have a good um, day. Bye -bye. around the world as well. So, yeah. Well, I know that there were probably a lot of things that you learned in this episode. Most of us have not been to Chad before. It's certainly not on most of our tourist destinations. Um, and it's definitely a unique life that she's living. And the work that she does is, is just so inspiring and so beautiful. And just hearing her experiences of, you know, living in Indonesia, living in China for a little while, just her experiences with, you know, refugees, even in the U.S., working uh, with refugees in the Middle East. And and then, you know, her life in Chad and just all the experiences that she's had and the way she's become just this global citizen where she is connected to people in so many countries. It's just a reminder of um, the what makes us all human. It, it draws us together. And there's a lot of reasons to look down on others. There's a lot of things we're fed in our media today that would cause us to have stereotypes about certain groups of people or even entire nations. But uh, Amanda is a great example of just being open-minded, open-hearted, open-handed to the ways that we can be led to be more loving to the neighbors wherever we are and to just go out of our way to show love to people, even if it means relocating your entire life to a place like Chad and, uh, and serving those around you who are really in need of basic things that all humans need, like water. Um, but it sounds like she's providing a whole lot more than just that. And that as she does that, she's receiving. She's receiving so much. She's receiving family, friends, people who pray for her in ways she's never been prayed for. And just the joy that when you open yourself up to others and open your mind and your heart, that those relationships can be so surprising. And so I don't know if you live in a place where you see people around you who look different from you or who act differently from you. But if you are, I would just encourage you to be reminded about the lessons that Amanda has taught us today. And that is just to um, open yourself up because it's in doing so that we can uh, not only give, but we also get to receive. And there's just a beautiful interchange of that kind of relationship with another human being who has so much to teach us. And Amanda has certainly taught us a lot today. So as you chew on that for the next week, um, I just uh, encourage you to go deeper, to go deeper in those ways that you've already been thinking about and that we've been talking about in this series. And that when you see things come your way in, the social, in social media or in TV or on the news, that you just, you become a critical thinker and you allow yourself to just take a pause and wonder if what you're being fed is actually what's true or if that's a stereotype that's not fair. Um, because as 
Amanda has shown us, um, the country where she lives is not something we should call a terrible name or that we should refer to as an entire nation as, um, in the way that it has been referred to. And, um, and that the, there are beautiful people around her that have loved on her and been family to her. And so it's possible there's people around you like that that you have discounted or you've not um, considered worthy of your time or your friendship or your efforts. Um, but there are people all around us who could teach us what it means to be human in a deeper, more meaningful way. Please come back next week. I urge you because you are not, and I mean this, you are not going to want to miss my friend, Lisa Rodriguez Watson. She is incredible. She's the national director for Missio Alliance, which is an organization in North America working with churches to try to create a space um, for both a robust theological reflection while also just working with a lot of the cultural issues that we're facing in our current day. And she's just a great thought leader. She's also an advocate. She's a, a deep thinker herself and, um, and doesn't want to just stay there with the ideas, but want to, wants to really put them into action and bring alongside others to lead them into action as well. And she just has an amazing background and experience that she'll share with us, I'm sure. She spent some time in Africa and she and her husband, Matt, uh, lived in California for a few years, even after graduating, getting their master's degrees. And then they've been now in the D.C. area doing uh, urban church planning for a while. And so she just has a lot to bring to this conversation about immigration. And you're really going to want to listen in to the really deeply thought through things that she has to say and what it looks like to practically put it into action. And so come back next week and invite a friend to listen in because I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss Lisa. She's awesome. Have a great week, guys. See you next week. A bit of a disclaimer on this episode. Uh, I don't know exactly why, but at the very end of it, there's a point where it sounds like we're talking over each other at the same time, which actually didn't happen in real time. But for some reason, the recording kind of turned out that way at the very end. So you'll have to try to figure out what we're both saying at the same time at a different point. I honestly, the fact that she was on the recording all the way from Chad in Central Africa and me here in California is just amazing that we had as good of a quality as we did. But so just bear with us here at the end of the episode and enjoy hearing from Amanda Stillman. She's awesome. Thank you.